0: Hello there and a very warm welcome to the Posterity Podcast with me, Nigel Dugdale. The Posterity Podcast is brought to you by the Limerick Post, working in association with Limerick City Community Radio. Over the coming weeks and months, I will introduce you to a diverse range of voices from across many sectors in Limerick society. Some you'll know, others maybe not so much. I hope this podcast will capture the voices of those who see Limerick as home. I hope to get an understanding of what makes them tick and to discover their hopes and dreams for Limerick at a time when so much opportunity is in our grasp. The official definition of posterity relates to all future generations of people. These people of the future could be your children, your grandchildren or great-grandchildren, or any people born after you. So every decision we make today, be it by those in power, in business circles, or in community development, will affect the lives of those coming behind us. This podcast will tell people stories, capture their voices for posterity and delve into the ideas, ambition and hopes that they have as we prepare for and sow the seeds for the limerick of tomorrow. I hope you join me on this journey. I hope you enjoy listening to the stories you hear and most of all I hope some of what you hear will inspire you. Do get in contact with me if you have any suggestions for future guests, questions I might ask or just general feedback on the show. I'm joined today in studio by a man who, if I was to go through his full biography, would be here for another hour and a half. But Owen Devro is Professor Owen Devro is a cultural sociologist and a creative writer. He teaches at the University of Limerick, and he's also an adjunct professor in contemporary culture in the Department of Art, Music, and Culture at the University of Jyväskylä in Finland. He is co-director of the Centre for the Study of Popular Music and Popular Culture at the University of Limerick, and he's also been the author of numerous books and articles on media and music which have been adopted in classrooms all over the world. A lifelong advocate for interdisciplinary approaches to teaching and research, Owen also teaches on the MA in Creative Writing, convening the module Creative Writers in the Community. He is also the course director for the MA in Youth, Community and Social Regeneration at the University of Limerick. Owen, you're very welcome to the studio. Thank you, Nigel. Owen, talk to me first of all. I'd love to get an idea of your, I, I've come across you a lot, but your background before you were in this big bad world of the University of Limerick, where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in, um, an, on an estate called Kennedy Park uh, on the south side of Limerick. Uh, My mother was from Old Watergate um, in the the centre of Limerick, in the core of Limerick. My father was a blow-in from Enniscorthy in Wexford. He came to Limerick in 1954 to work on construction in the Irish uh, cement, in the cement factory in Mungret. And he met my mum and they got married and uh, and he stayed in Limerick. And we lived, uh, I spent the first year of my life at 7 Lower Mallow Street, the house is still there, the very last house on Lower Mallow Street, on the left-hand side going down. And in 1966, when I was one, we moved to the new estate of Kennedy Park. Kennedy Park, up to then, was referred to kind of uh, colloquially, and in in you know people like Stevie Coughlin and others in the 1960s for a couple of years, were talking about the Bullfield development. So Kennedy Park was built on what was locally known as the Bullfield. Uh, I grew up there. Um, I was writing about my background just recently um, because I had the pleasure of introducing a new book of poetry by John Liddy, who was from Rathban in Limerick. And I was thinking a lot about the kinds of things that influenced me at that time. So John Liddy would have been, John Liddy is older than me and he would have been a hero of mine. And I suppose he was a hero of mine because it was part of that realization that working class people can form bands and write and make books and do things. And um, I was thinking about that recently. And I was thinking about the fact that I was very fortunate to grow up in a household where books were seen as important. My, my parents, there were two bookshelves in our living room, in our sitting room at home. And uh, there were lots of books there. Lots of things were talked about and ideas were talked about. My uncle, my mother's uh, brother. She had two brothers, but one of her brothers was a really well-known Limerick character, journalist, historian, writer, Seamus O'Kaneda, who wrote for the Limerick Leader. Um, quite a Bohemian character. So there was a lot of lots of influences on me in terms of um, of, of, of of thinking about the world and maybe having. Notions about what I wanted to do.
0: You mentioned working class earlier on. It was interesting. Did you perceive yourself as working class? Was there a perception as a young person that maybe you were from an area that was a little bit different to the Ennis Road, or, or?
1: I think I often tell my students that it was when I discovered girls. You know, it was when when you move out. And I I, and I've thought a lot about this that you you live a lot of your life in your in your young years, and you live in a kind of a a bubble. You live in this hermetically sealed world and, you know, and, and you're familiar surroundings. And once you begin to move out of that, so that might involve, you know, uh, you know, dating somebody or it might involve looking for a summer job or something like that. And, you know, as your world expands in your teenagers, well, this is my experience of it, that suddenly then the address and where you were from could potentially become an issue. And, um, And that is something that has stayed with me all of my life. I've been very conscious of that all of my life. And it's interesting that in my academic work with people like Martin Power and Amanda Haynes at UL, in the last number of years, we've done a lot of work on how neighborhoods, really working class neighborhoods, how they come to be stigmatized, how that happens and the lasting impact of stigma on estates and on people who come from working-class housing estates. And we know, without getting all kind of sociological about it, we know that it has two main kinds of impacts. People who live in estates that are stigmatised often come to believe the stigma, uh, they internalise it, and indeed external actors, employers, others, police, whatever, they certainly, I think, are heavily influenced by the sort of stereotypes about working-class people. And so I suppose it's no accident that I grew up in a working-class estate. I was also very influenced. And really the point I was trying to mm-hmm. come to is that two big things happened to me. Jim Kemme, uh came into my horizon. My dad was a trade union organiser, but Jim Kemmy came into my horizon. And Jim Kemmy, in his early days was really quite a radical figure, you know, even though he became more accepted and more establishment later on and moved back into the Labour Party. But in the in the 70s and, you know, early 80s, Jim Cammie was quite a radical figure. Uh, he was one of the first recipients of the Hirschfield Award. He opened the family planning clinic in Limerick when condoms were illegal. When you tell other people now, they think that you're, mm. you're talking about Mars or something like that. And Jim Kemmy talked about class politics and about Marxism and about the way the world is organised in class terms. And that was a breath of fresh air. But I suppose the big thing that happened to me, and it has stayed with me all of my life, was that I discovered punk rock. And punk music, uh, 76, 77, I was 12 uh, when when punk rock uh, started. Um, And the big message from punk, it was very much about class. And the big message from punk was that working class kids have as much right to be creative and to express themselves and their accent and their opinion and their experience is as relevant as anybody else's experience. And I think that has um, stayed with me all of my life. I think everything I've done has been influenced by
0: punk. Discovering that.
1: Yes. Was it a happy childhood? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Um, My parents, as I've said, were both people who encouraged discussion and ideas. Um, Yes, it was. Yeah. Now, I was kind of the odd one out in that all of my siblings I have a brother and two sisters so all of my siblings were like my parents interested in the GAA and interest in sport and so on and I had zero interest in that so that kind of marked me out as being you know not being part of that but yes overall absolutely yeah.
0: Very oh, much were you, so. well, what's your earliest memory of Limerick can you think back to something that stands out as a child that you just remember about growing up in the city?
1: I think a lot about the the shops in the early 70s. So shops like uh, Besco's on William Street and Winston's and Canucks. And I remember going to town at the age of maybe 11 with some money to buy my own shoes. And I remember going into town to do that. And I remember Canucks had a sale when I was about 12 and going in to buy jeans and stuff like that. So like in one sense... I often think about it now because I'm a parent myself and I often think about it now that the amount of freedom that I actually had was phenomenal. And I think, you know, that it wasn't unusual at the time to have that kind of freedom. Yeah.
0: Do you ever mourn, and I suppose we'll come to this later on, but do you ever mourn the sense that maybe our city centre has over time started to just lose that sense of community? And I mean, I mean, from a retail and from a people perspective, you know, that is is it, or is it just that times are changing and maybe we're being more critical?
1: Well, bigger forces are at work in the sense that consumption, people spending money, and I suppose particularly middle-class consumers tend to go to the suburbs, tend to go to the super supermarkets and the, the shopping centres. And that's a feature of cities all over the world. Um, so, I mean, my, my concerns about Limerick in 2021 and in the future is that I suppose there's two things going on. One is that we had a very strong focus on regeneration in particular communities um, in the last 12 years or so. And the focus has shifted now to the regeneration of the city. I, I have concerns about the degree to which there's a social dividend in that and the degree to which that's really inclusive. So whether it's really about allowing everybody to participate fully in society, you know, whether that's through the arts or whether it is in terms of employment and so on. So. There is lots of scope for the city to um, realign itself. You know, I mean, the most obvious thing, we're living through a housing crisis, and I wouldn't be the first person to say that, you know, a greater focus on people living in the city and using the space in the city. Uh, that is key. I mean, it, office spaces alone. So office spaces are fine in terms of employment creation for some people. Um, uh But we also need a city that's alive after 6 p.m. and 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. And what typically happens in a city is that if you have a lot of, to use that awful phrase, if you have a lot of footfall in a city and you have people moving around and doing things at all hours of the day and night, then it becomes safer you know people move around and there's, you know, there's more to see and but and
0: ideas so get shared and that's even that's what yes. really excites me about a city centre I was in Berlin recently and I went to different communities and different parts of it and mm. you, you know I, I saw that thing of when you went down to areas that would probably look like tenements they were mm. just full of fascinating people and you could see there was wealth there and yeah
1: and like where I work I mean the plan is that we move in a portion of our activities and new activities into the city centre into the the done site but you know over time and i'm talking really over the last kind of 30 40 years i think not locating significant parts of the university in the inner city uh 40 years ago was a a huge mistake Mm. uh you know if you if you think about how we might have um been been part of you know um regenerating the georgian core of the city the idea of students hanging around drinking coffee and all the things that students do but th- that didn't happen i think it was an opportunity lost i'm hopeful that in the near future that that will play a part th- th- that will play a part
0: so 12 year old you discovers punk you're from a working class community in the city centre how did academia come about and i, I hate the word academia actually how did you trans Transition into a world where you became someone who was teaching others.
1: Uh, it happened badly in the sense that <laughs> I worked on pirate radio station on a pirate radio station in Limerick, Big L Radio, in Ellen Street. And again, when I think about that, I was given my own radio program at the age of fourteen, and broadcast from sort of fourteen years of age to nineteen till maybe I went to university. And I went to school in Sexton Street in the Christian Brothers in Limerick. And I can safely say that I hated every day of it. Why? And I really hated it. Um, I felt like I didn't fit in. If you weren't a hurler or you weren't a Gaelic football player, um, if you were into music and the arts like I was. Um, and I just found it you know, very oppressive, certainly until 1980 when corporal punishment was there. It was quite violent towards towards students and so on. I was on the receiving end of lots of beatings myself there. And looking back on it now, I actually think I was bored. I actually think, and it's made me think a lot about being an educator myself and how I teach and how I I go about teaching. Because um, I look back on it now and I, I think, yeah, I just simply was completely disinterested. Now I was reading and I was reading lots of books and I was reading novels and I was reading plays. I I, I read a lot of plays in my teenage years. You just go to the library and get even, you know, John B. Keane and, you know, so I, I was very a very avid reader. And then there was music of course and then I was doing my program. I failed my leaving cert. I fantastically gloriously failed my leaving cert and all of my friends went on to uh, college, some went to Galway, some went to NIHE Limerick as it was and uh, I had to go back and do my Leaving Cert again and that was a bit of a trigger in terms of thinking okay I actually, this is a, all this is, is a driving license, it's a passport And uh, I did my leaving cert and I did a better leaving cert the next time around. No, I didn't do a spectacular leaving cert. You know, I did a very Joe Average one, really. And at the time, again, the priorities were different. I mean, my aim in my leaving cert in 1983 was to get four honours, to get a grant to go to university. That was the sum total of my ambition. I went to Galway to do arts. I initially thought I was going to do English and sociology and... When I went there, I actually studied history and combined sociology and politics. Um, And it was, again, it was a really strange, it was almost as everything that I did in school that was wrong. In other words, having opinions and arguing in religion class and, you know, being controversial and, you know, know, coming up with uh, alternative interpretations. So a lot of what I did in school I was punished for. Or I was I was beaten down or whatever like that metaphorically. Uh, in university, it was it was actually it really suited me. Um, I had no intention of becoming a university teacher. Um, I wanted to work in current affairs journalism. That's the notion I had at the time, and that's why I was going to do a degree. And I wanted to kind of go into broadcasting. If if you like more formally, uh, I was waiting for. Local radio to be legitimized, and you know the legislation to come in and so on, all that was going on. And then I discovered that I actually really liked sociology in particular. And I was very lucky, I had some great teachers in Galway, including now President Michael D. Higgins, who was a phenomenal teacher altogether, you know, absolutely phenomenal teacher, inspiring. And other people like um, Chris uh, Curtin from Lisdyn Varna and in history, uh, a fantastic history professor uh, from Limerick City, Gareth O'Toohey, a phenomenal uh, teacher uh, altogether. So I I stayed on and I did a master's there and I still wanted to go and work in broadcasting. And there were delays with the legislation around radio. And um, I went teaching in adult education for a year. And then I ended up purely by chance coming back to NIHE Limerick, as it still was, to teach for 10 weeks. I did that and I did a little bit more there. And then I left. I went I worked at RTE as a researcher. I went and worked on the Pat Kenny show uh, as a researcher and then came back to... UL in October 90. And I did all the precarious stuff that lots of younger academics do. I worked on one year contracts and then a three year contract. And I never had any intention of staying here. You know, I, I was leaving, I was going, you know, and I had done my sort of seven years in Galway and enjoyed it. And, um, I decided that I was going to do a PhD and, uh, RTE were funding research at the time about the social impact of broadcasting. And I I went for that and got that and did a PhD about media portrayals of poverty. And even that stuff began with thinking about the way in which media portray working class communities. And a lot of the time, you know, they, they focus on sensational stories and they often ignore more positive, constructive things that working class communities do. And uh, so, yeah, so all of the things are are intertwined, I suppose, you know.
0: I'm interested to think about you growing up in Kennedy Park and then over the time that you're studying sociology and you're learning about the world around you and you're interested in watching all these portrayals about how these communities can be Mm -hmm. treated. Limerick's... For rege- what we'll come to call regeneration communities, sort of were being developed at the time in the sense they were there, but they were, you know, they were working as communities. Yes. And you've probably over that time watched them, I'm not going to use the word disintegrate, but, but there was a period of time where maybe they were perceived as disintegrating as as communities you know, physically. Um,
1: yeah, but, but I mean, no, I, I also recognise that, you know, the kinds of things that occur. Sometimes, you know, when we think about homelessness or when we think about poverty or when we think about working class estates, the danger is that we kind of zone in on individualizing it or personalizing it, right? Mm. So there are very large structural forces at work. I mean, the decline of industry, of traditional industries in Limerick, uh, the disappearance of Ferenca, the disappearance of crops, the disappearance of, you know, the usual things we will talk about, about flour milling and, and the bacon industry and so on. So those kinds of things happened. Um, I suppose if I learned anything, it was that employment opportunities for people really are crucial, right? So having, so if you build large scale estates and you don't resource them in terms of basic services like a GP or a pharmacy or a nighttime bus service or whatever, right? So if you you build, and Limerick isn't unique in this regard at all. If you build large scale estates, And you don't plan them properly. I've often thought about the architects who built um, many of the working-class communities that I'm familiar with. If they had to live there, they might very well see their work differently. You know, Um, just even just to think about 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 that. So, I mean, I was conscious of it. You know, to say that I was conscious of it when I was I was a teenager. Uh, I, 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 I became more conscious of it as I became more interested in politics and more interested in you know uh, 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 what I would still perceive as a kind of a critical understanding of the world that economics matter that people's class position matters and ultimately how resources are distributed and how um, not everybody there is a great mythology in Ireland and elsewhere that we are all equal or that we all have the same opportunities and I know that's not true. That's not the case. That's not the
0: case. I'm currently living on in an area that is seen as a regeneration community right at the entry point to St. Mary's Park. And I've been watching, first of all, I've had a year and a half to get to learn about St. Mary's Park, but I'm also watching Ross at the moment. And there's two things ha- that I'm seeing happening. I'd love to get your your, your thoughts on this. Ross to me as a community, seems to be one that has that is overcoming something that it had for many years. There seems to be this force within the community that's saying, we want and deserve to do better. But they have a church in the middle of it. They have a school in the middle of it. They have a number of business people who are willing to sort of fight their cause. They have a couple of politicians. There's, you know, there, there seems to be this momentum happening. And then you look at St. Mary's Park. There's one road in, pretty much. Maybe there's a second little secondary road. There is nothing in there the most beautiful part of Limerick City, except a road in and a series of houses. And it feels to me at the moment that a lot of energy is going into fixing Moirass, particularly. And St. Mary's Park has been left, and I know that the people living there feel that they're being told, we want to keep problems down there, we don't want that spreading so they're being forgotten about their public realm is being let down their their sense of place is 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 broken they're even talking now that a school that isn't even in the heart of st mary's park may close down in time if they can't get more pupils what are your thoughts on the current situation with two years to go in regeneration by the way or the, the regeneration plan that we had
1: well i mean i think it is kind of ironic or whatever i often kind of smile at the fact that there were two regeneration companies They were wound down, and now Limerick City and County Council, who made the decisions about building um, Moy Ross and South Hill historically and so on, that the responsibility for regeneration is now back with the very structures that planned these estates in the first instance. Um, I think there's a general point I want to make, first of all, it's that I think we really, really need to think about how we treat people. Um, I was on my bike during the summer and I noticed that on the Roxborough Road, there was a a shop on the Roxborough Road when I was a child called Farrells. And Farrells was a shop that the evening press used to be delivered to on a Lambretta scooter. And I would be sent down to collect the evening press. And it's closed forever. It's closed for maybe 35, 40 years. There's a map of Janesborough on the side of that building and it's a really interesting map. And the most interesting thing of the map is that when Janesborough was being built, it was known in Limerick as the Clearings. And it was known as the Clearings because there was, quote, slum clearance going on in the city. So people in the slums were being moved to a particular estate. And I think over time, there is a... there is that real sense, and it's not just about Limerick, Nigel. If you if you look at um, working class communities, you know whether it's in Shoreditch in London, you know whether it's in Glasgow, whether it's in Australia, the Netherlands, right? What working class communities will will talk about a great deal of the time is about being abandoned, um, or people being pushed out through gentrification, uh, you know, people not having the same level of opportunities as others. Moyross is a really interesting case because we forget, and I think we forget this about South Hill as well, that if you go back to the early 1980s, and even if you do just a very basic cursory glance through the pages of the Limerick Leader or the Limerick Chronicle, you'll see, like I remember as a child there was a two, three-week festival in South Hill. There was a mayor of South Hill. There was a mayor of Moy Ross. There were community awards in the granary, in in uh, what became uh, the the Trinity Rooms um, in Limerick. So there was a hu- certainly in the eighties, there was an awful lot of very positive things happening in working class uh, communities. St Mary's was interesting because again around Nicholas Street, uh, the parish, the parish action de- awareness development group PAGE, St Mary's Aid, like they were involved in, and have been and are involved in very very positive things. But I agree. I think that you need major resources in the form of the things that you're talking about, whether it's a community center or whether it's a church or whether it's a medical center or a school, you need a focal point for um, communities. And, um, and, and, and then that allows other things to actually happen. You know, in other words, people will connect with one another and, and so on. So, yeah, I mean, and when I think about Limerick in the future... There are many models of regeneration in other cities in the UK and elsewhere where part of the the, the framework, part of the legislation is that there has to be a social dividend. So if there are jobs in construction you know one in five, one in six of the employees has to be from the community that's being regenerated. Um, The employment creation again there's there 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 are forms of positive discrimination there at work and I think Ultimately, I think it is about creating opportunities for people. You know, if you, if you think about it, really, all I ever see when I think about these things is the waste of human potential. Mm. Every single human being is, we live in a, a republic in Ireland. Uh, we are citizens. We're not just consumers, although we're defined as consumers a lot of the time. We're citizens. And... I fundamentally believe that every citizen has the right to home and has the right to live somewhere securely, but also has the right to realise their potential through education or employment or other kinds of expression.
0: It's amazing. I grew up in Castle Troy. Um, I had a privileged upbringing and I'm living in the centre of town. And I live in town because I want to be in my city. You see things and you learn about how sure. a city, if you're going to talk about my city, I might as well understand how it works. But I had two experiences recently. One was where a taxi refused to bring me to where I wanted to go, which was my home, because that in, that taxi driver mm. didn't like to drive into a particular part of town. And the, the second one was meeting a young man who is now working in a reasonably decent job, of, in fact, a, a quite a decent job in a managerial level. But when he'd come out of college, he'd applied for the job only a couple of years ago. And he didn't get called for an interview. But his good friend who came from... I think Kahar Davin, applied for the same job on the same day. He was told there was, there was no more jobs left and she was called for an interview. When she went, there were six others at the, on the interview uh, panels themselves. And he knew it was because of where he lived that he wasn't chosen. And I mean, now he's, and, and, and to me, as my own experience of the taxi incident, mm. it immediately showed me that I, in a sense, should be a little bit embarrassed about where I'm living you know. And I came from Castle Troy. I was asking someone recently, I live in a beautiful little street and we were naively said to my neighbour, imagine if we put a few hanging baskets out our front. Um, My mum and her neighbours can invest lots of money in putting huge big hanging baskets and all of that. But I was told, absolutely not. One, you're drawing attention on yourself and B, they'll be swiped in the morning. So I'm then being told any sense of community creation, any sense of interaction, you we're all not allowed to do it because we're just all thinking the, th- this community is broken and
1: yeah but there is you know but there, there but there is uh, there is there is resistance as well uh, in in quite a positive way uh, i've become really interested in the kinds of things that are going on at the hip hop scene uh, particularly by you know young working class men and women singing about their lives and it's it's really interesting because you have obviously you know, Limerick has become, thankfully, much more diverse and multicultural and, you know, between music generation and Rossangano family and Denise Chyla and and so on. So you have a really interesting um, musical mix going on. And part of that is seeing... You know, young men, particularly uh, from Moirass, from Weston, elsewhere, singing about their lives and singing in a limerick accent and singing about where they're from. So there are pockets of resistance as well. But the point you make, I think, is 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 well made. And if your listeners want to check out uh, an interview on YouTube just uh, put together recently, my colleague Martin Power from UL is on YouTube on a pod, or a, on a YouTube podcast if you like a visual whatever that's called videocast um talking about the work we've done and he talks about this he talks about the address syndrome he talks about people masking their address and he talks about how um things like pizzas being delivered people not being able to get taxis uh when we did our research in Moiros for example we found that people had great difficulties in getting a home insurance for example uh getting a mortgage so you 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 live in a particular estate and you want to buy a house to be near your family, and you can think of the good, positive reasons why you might want to do that in terms of babysitting and childminding and the kind of connect connectivity between people. And you're told, well, we won't loan you money for a house in this estate, but we will loan you money for a house in a in a middle class estate. And that is sending a very strong signal to people about their their worth and their value, you know. And I mean, I, and I think that for me. And I'm very conscious of this. You know, uh, I I have lived, I've been very fortunate in my life in terms of my, my job and the things I've been able to do and all the rest of it. I'm very conscious of that, of the privilege that that is. But that doesn't take away from my commitment to the idea of equality and opportunity and education for for uh, you know as many people as possible and again that can take on a variety of forms it doesn't have to be you know leaving cert degree or whatever like that it can, it can take on a variety of forms but you know I, I think we have a big issue if we are we are writing off entire sections of our community because of where they are mm-hmm. from or their address uh, that's um
0: the biggest thing that I learned in the last few months is that the community that I'm currently living beside, have lost trust and faith in the people who will make decisions decisions on their behalf. And that's very difficult to win back. So when people are coming in, even making suggestions, there's currently, one of the most beautiful walks in Limerick is the bank around the island field, right? And it's, because of flooding, it was it was devastated a few years back, but it's taken, in my view, way, way, way too long. If it had happened in Castle Troy, you'd have had it fixed within 12 months, I can guarantee that. Now they're waiting and they're saying it's all about flood defences. But every time that community is told something positive might happen, a new community centre, you know, we're going to put the... They lose, they don't believe that they're actually going to get what they deserve and not what i think they deserve and that's and, difficult and, and to- i
1: think you know and again it's not you know w- without even just focusing on limerick although this is the you know the the you know the, the focus of the the podcast um this is a story that working class communities relate all over the world so there's something bigger going on here right and it's about the way in which people are valued it might also even be about the way in which, let's say, where they're living is seen as ultimately as real estate, and that if we if we clear people out of this, then it becomes land, and it becomes you know there is that argument about sometimes when 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 cities and towns are generated, what's really going on is a land grab, you know, for mm. for, for other vested interests, yeah. you know, and that's that's that that's, that's uh, the issue, and you know that is really 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 um, core, and it just reminds me of something else that when the older when the first wave of regeneration um took place there was a really strong emphasis on bricks and mortar on demolishing houses on on building houses and we know that re- regeneration essentially have built relatively few houses right and that's you know mm-hmm. a, a, they're not a, a fair few yeah, they're yeah. not a lot of yeah. houses um i'm convinced that it was never about houses. It was, I mean, I'm, and I'm not saying that there weren't houses that needed to be improved in terms of, let's say, uh, insulation, insulation. Or insulation or, yep. whatever about mm. that, social regeneration, that is the hardest one to 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 do, and I think we largely shied away from that. And that's.
0: I heard someone talking recently about the fact that maybe, and I don't want to dwell for the whole interview on the regeneration yeah, thing, yeah. but that it, could it be that the people within Irish, the Irish civil service sector or the government sector, maybe just didn't know how to do it. Is there any examples around the world, I'm thinking of the United States, I'm thinking in, in in the cities there, who have really managed to achieve transformation in communities that that Irish communities might be going through and is there an argument to say, well look, maybe we just don't have the know-how within the structures that we have here and it might be actually better to bring in a hundred people who've done it somewhere else and get it done and see, see can we work that way so that there's trust within an an outsider rather than people well, who've been in the system for too long?
1: The short answer is, yes, there are models that work. I mentioned Glasgow. There are lots of some very positive examples from Glasgow. But then you can think about other issues. Finland. I teach in Finland uh, quite a bit, so I'm, I'm quite familiar with... Finland as a country, the population is the same size as Ireland's. Obviously, physically, it's, it's bigger. Lots of parallels in terms of the length of time they've they have been independent. Uh, they had a famine the same year as us in 1847 and all the rest of it. The Finns decided about 10 years ago to reduce homelessness to zero. And they've managed to do that because they decided to do it. The Finns decided a number of years ago to build a new library in Helsinki. The budget that they spent on that library in Helsinki is eight times what we spend on our entire library budget across the Republic of Ireland. You know, so some of it's about the decisions that we actually make and some of it is about what we value. You know, and if we live in a society that's really only about owning property or being wealthy or becoming middle class, then, you know, people are going to be left behind
0: when it comes to education if you're coming from a part of a city or a community where traditionally there's been huge unemployment levels Mm -hmm. where maybe father grandfather even great grandfather didn't go beyond junior cert level and these kids are going into school and they're being told you need to sit you need to do you know irish english maths you need to do three subjects and you need to read books and this is what it is I would feel that quite a lot of these kids, it's not in them. However, if you were to give them a gadget and ask them to open it up and figure out how it works, they probably would be geniuses. If you've got guys who are into horses, learn, let them learn how to saddle make, let them. Hur- no,
1: I agree it, fully. I mean, I it, and, I think and that's that, what
0: I'm going to ask: Are yeah. we with with these particular communities? Would it be better for us to rethink how we teach them?
1: I think we need to do this anyway because we're now living in a far more diverse society. There are a hundred languages spoken in Ireland. Inward migration has, you know, revolutionised what being Irish is all about. Different religious beliefs and practices, or none. Um, you know, uh, obviously, um, you know, marriage equality, LGBTI. You know, the, the whole just a whole range of things actually happening. And you can think about groups like the traveller community and so on. And again, where we've we're, a lot of the time in Ireland, we've been trying to shoehorn people into a fixed version of what the world is actually about, and that's therefore then the challenge for educators which is that if you're if you're teaching in a particular context what are the the tools to use that awful phrase that would actually work best so it might be teaching through hip-hop it might be teaching through spoken word it might be teaching through painting it might be teaching through graffiti right so it's it's about that imaginative leap that it's not just about here's a textbook you start at the beginning you learn to do this you learn to do that you know and i and i think that there is that challenge to uh, uh all of us in education to to think creatively uh like that when i say think creatively i mean just in, in terms of just even thinking about the language of how we teach how the, the literally the mechanics of how we teach and um you know and lots of other ways can produce interesting uh, results, you know. And, and, I, and I think that's ultimately about being creative.
0: We rebranded our city a few years ago with this edge embrace kind of a concept. And I'm not big into branding if you're not going to follow through. But yes. it seems to me that the edge embrace actually is really interesting because if you can allow a sector of our society that's struggling to be edgy and to do things differently, We could potentially be embracing what it is they need instead of trying, you know.
1: Every time I'm in Manchester, I'm struck by the fact, and I often joke because of my interest in music, I often joke about Limerick being the Manchester of Ireland and blah, blah, blah. But there's a serious point there. Um, Manchester regenerated itself by acknowledging its working class history. Its symbol is the worker bee. Uh, There is a museum of industry, Uh, there is a museum of science and industry. Um, so they turned their, their warehouses into nightclubs, you know, and the music culture, you know, whether that was Manchester or whether it was, you know, the stuff like the Smiths and stuff before that, uh, in the, in the early eighties, um, they managed to turn being post-industrial high unemployment and so on into a positive, you know, and if you think about cultural activity, like we're recording this podcast, um, in a premises, which, um, is was once part of uh, the, the foundry in L- Shannon Foundry um, in Limerick near the clothing factory. And in the early 1990s, the Cranberries rehearsed within two minutes of where I'm sitting here. And lots of other bands rehearsed here as well. And it's no accident that that was at a time of high unemployment. There was very little for a lot of working class kids to do. Cultural um, expression, writing music, making records was a way through that. And I think that, you know, you can think of projects now like Music Generation, who are doing phenomenal Mm -hmm. work with young people in the city. Um, I I think that we need to be very clever about um, how we, and again, I hate the market and brand, I hate that kind of language, right? But I think that, I I really, what what am I saying? What I'm saying is I think that instead of pretending that we're not an old post industrial working class city i think
0: we should actually accept it and make uh, a virtue of it i often wonder if the word edge might have been the i wasn't part of that branding exercise but sure. i i kind of wonder was embrace the thing that they added on afterwards to give the balance to it um, and yeah, it would have been yeah. i think it would have been a very interesting exercise had we focused on edge as being the the thing that Limerick offers
1: um like, the- you could like, you could do, you know, clearly the city has phenomenal reputation in terms of sport, in terms of rugby, you know, loads and loads of really, really positive things. Creative writing, there's just so many things here, right? And I, I mean, I do think that some thought needs to go into the kinds of cultural events that we might want the city to become synonymous with. And, you know, we can name, you know, Galway for XYZ or Kilkenny for comedy or for its arts festival or whatever. And... I think it would be worthwhile to think, I mean, I think to me, the most obvious thing would be something like uh, hip hop as, as as a starter. And, and I, there is the Make Move Festival, but at, at a larger, at a larger but, level. Oh, and,
0: look, we, and this is where, you know, I think the frustration might kick in. In 2014, we were given the opportunity to have a full year to be exactly that to sow the seeds of something and you know you could argue that maybe from that year un- under our noses things are happening mm. but i think it was a missed opportunity i think that maybe we didn't you know i think there were two
1: events i mean and again i like my observations on on city of culture now so i had an involvement in two projects so i the pigtown
0: I, fling was one.
1: pigtown fling with uh, john greenwood and uh, noel hogan and that was that was you know, as I was involved in that was an interesting project. We, you know, we, we, we um, made that record and we sold out the the Crescent Hall hadn't been sold out since Tom and Pascal, you know, <laughs> so we had a queue down the queue down the thing. And I also was, I, I was also involved in a indie week um, uh, music uh, competition with Dolans, right? But I thought when I looked at 2014, the one big event, the most obvious big event, the big success story was the granny, right? But I often thought about that then afterwards, that where were the other grannies? So where were the other projects that brought people from every walk of life together in the city? And I don't think mm. that was achieved. And I know there were all these issues at the beginning uh, and so on. And but in but, hindsight know, as
0: well, you know, you, yeah. you you have to ask, you know, legacy. But I mean, that that might be for another day. What's the biggest achievement of your life? What's, your, what's the thing you're most proud of?
1: Oh, my family. My, my, um, my wife... Liz, we met through um, music and uh, uh, and I remember we, ironically we, we broke up and my way to get back to her was I, I asked could I borrow her David Bowie collection and we got back together again. And then years later, you know, I'm organising the first conference ever on David Bowie with Alien Delan and Martin Power in, in UL. So yeah, um, uh, meeting Liz, my wife, and I have two sons, um, Joe and uh, Gavin. Joe is called after Joe Strummer. In the clash and Gavin is called after Gavin Friday, uh, of the Virgin Prunes and more recently with you two and so on and and,
0: and and I could have chatted for another forty five minutes with you about music and you know yeah, th- that might yeah. be for another day. But <laughs> just the final question. It's it's a the posterity podcast. And you know, after you're long gone, you know, there'll be people coming up behind you um but we're here at a time now where we're shaping their future sure, yeah. and we have an opportunity um you're very much in the academic world but looking at that you know that th- that sociological look at what limerick can and should achieve for itself what would you like to see happen over the coming years So that when you, and maybe it might not necessarily be something you're directly involved in, but something that you would like to see happen in Limerick, so that when you're moving on to wherever you go afterwards, Mm. that you feel that your grandkids might be safe in the knowledge that they're going to be seeing Limerick as home.
1: Well, I keep repeating the same thing, which is an equality of opportunity for young people, particularly from less well off backgrounds, that they can realize their potential. So when we Create jobs, And we've been creating a lot of jobs in Limerick, thankfully, in the last number of years, that we think that regenerating the city is fine in terms of economic uh, development, but if we really want to bring people in from the margins or if we want to include people, that means then that we need to prioritise economic development where uh, the old working class estates are concerned in Limerick. I think that would be huge. Um, education in as many forms as possible and education that is focused on creativity. And then more generally, I mean, we're at a very interesting time. I often say to my students that the way Limerick and Ireland has changed for the better in terms of marriage equality, in terms of, you know, recognising, you know, uh, different sexual orientations, and multiculturalism, I and mean, I just think—I mean, I have my, my surname; uh, I have a Norman-French mm. yeah. surname, you know. Uh, you know, so this idea of there being this essential Irish uh, identity is, is nonsense, anyway. It's a construct; it's made up, right? And um, uh, the far right will love me for this, but um, <laughs> you know. So, Limerick as a cultural melting pot, as a place of opportunity and equality, and that people can enjoy their lives through sport or through music or through cultural expression. That's really what I would, you know, that's what I would love. That's what I would really like for the place. And I suppose the recurring theme, and I'm saying this as somebody who has, you know, uh, have been. I've been very fortunate in terms of the way things have turned out in my career and the opportunity that I've been given in my life and so on. Um... But a big bugbear of mine is still um, snobbery, to use an old-fashioned word, or, or stigmatizing people on the basis of where they are from. You know, I often say to my students, you know, don't get fooled by the posh accent. You know, <laughs> it's education, not my 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 original sort of accent out of my, out of me. But I, but a more serious point is that yeah, I mean, the idea that we would stymie people from realizing their potential as human beings to contribute to society, to do the things that Middle class people take for granted. That would be the
0: that's and, the tall order. And are you hopeful?
1: Absolutely. No, I've always been hopeful. I mean, I have a I hope a critical lens, but ultimately, um, um I suppose I'm a creative writer and uh, a teacher, and um yeah, ultimately I believe in in ultimately I believe that that the decisions you make you know whether it's the Finns deciding to reduce homelessness or build a big library for the children of the of the society whatever like that that yeah I think a lot depends on the decisions that you make and but that but that's for another podcast in terms of mm. the politics of this.
0: Oh, and Devereaux it's been a pleasure talking to you thanks for coming on to the posterity podcast and I wish you all the very best in the coming weeks and have a lovely Christmas. Thank you Nigel. You've been listening to the Posterity Podcast with me, Nigel Dugdale, produced by the Limerick Post in association with Limerick City Community Radio. Theme tune composed by David Blake and performed by the Brad Pitt Light Orchestra. If you want to get in touch with me or suggest any future guests, you can contact me directly on Twitter at Limerick City Biz, or you can contact the Limerick Post at Limerick Post.